Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of The Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. Welcome back. I'm not sure why, but it feels like it's been forever since I've talked to you. I recognize that it hasn't been, but maybe it's just been one of those weeks for me. Or maybe it's because we have things to talk about. The most recent Bills signing, we're going to talk about because I think it matters. So we're going to have three sections to today's podcast. We are going to address the most recent Buffalo Bills addition to the defensive line room. Then we are going to talk about what the word upgrade really means and why we so frequently get it wrong. And then we're going to do some almighty takes. So strap in. It's going to be a good old time. The Buffalo Bills have signed fourth year defensive lineman F.A. Obada, who is, ironically enough, a member of the International Pathway Program originally that Christian Wade is on. Last year, he played in 16 games with one start for the Carolina Panthers and recorded 18 tackles, five and a half sacks, 15 quarterback hits, two fumble recoveries, and a forced fumble. He is 6'6", 265. He fits the archetype of those big, heavy ends that you have historically seen have success in Sean McDermott's defense. But I actually think it's a little more than that. The signing of Obada, to me, is a cheaper Quentin Jefferson replacement. If you remember correctly, the thing I liked about Quentin Jefferson, one of the reasons that I was a little bummed out that he got cut was the ability to play inside-outside, kick inside a three-tech, play base end. And he wasn't able to do that in 2020, mostly because he was forced to play a lot more one-tech than he wanted to play because of the departure of Star Latule and the general ineffectiveness of Harrison Phillips for the vast majority of the year. The same thing that happened to Ed Oliver, happened to Quentin Jefferson. But Obara gives the Bills the ability to still have that type of player and on a much cheaper deal. So it's like a half Trent Murphy, half Quentin Jefferson replacement. And he didn't play a large portion of the snaps. So there's a very reasonable chance that if the Bills don't make a significant investment in the defensive line room in the NFL draft, that Obada is your fourth defensive end in the rotation above Daryl Johnson because he's shown more flashes than Daryl Johnson has shown. And that means he's probably going to get more than 29% of the snaps, which for him is an opportunity to play for a defensive line coach he knows in Eric Washington and potentially get more playing time as part of a heavy rotational basis that the Buffalo Bills defensive line has historically shown. 
I like this signing for the Buffalo Bills. I don't really see a way you could dislike the signing unless you think that this is all the Bills are going to do and you were hoping for a bigger splash. But it doesn't preclude them from making a bigger splash on the defensive line room. It doesn't stop them from being able to do that. This is just Brandon Bean doing Brandon Bean things. Making sure that he's shoring up depth and filling needs in free agency so that the probability is higher he can take the best grade on the board when he's picking in the NFL draft. As a side note, best player available is pretty much a myth. Positional value and need are a big part of GM's drafting. They've already established that. Some picks end up being a straight best player available pick. But best player available, regardless of all the other things, is not really a thing. It's not like that's a strategy that everyone applies to their drafting all the time. It doesn't exist. It might apply to specific picks, but as a general philosophy that you follow every time through, that's not a thing. GMs lie to you all the time and tell you it's a thing, but it's not. So that's the Obana pick, which I'm a fan of. Moving forward, though, I want to address something that has been percolating in my Twitter messages, in my Twitter responses, in the comments section at buffalorumblings.com. And that is, did the Bills actually get better this offseason? Did the Bills get better? Now, early in the week, Joe Marino from Locked On Bills specifically talked about a lot of different reasons why the Bills could be better in 2021 than they were in 2020. And I was hoping, as I listened to that podcast, I was hoping that I would be able to say something original on this pod. But it was really a completely different angle, so I felt a little bit better. I want to digest the word upgrade. Because that's kind of what we do on this pod. From a philosophical standpoint, we digest the word upgrade. What the word upgrade means is the comparison of one data point to a second data point. And having the data point that applies chronologically after the other one be better in the opinion of the person who's evaluating them. So in order to upgrade, you need two data points and you compare the two. And the one that occurs chronologically after the other one, if it's better, then we call that an upgrade. But the thing that's interesting is that your placement of the second data point matters a lot. Let me say that again. The placement of the second data point by the person doing the evaluation matters a lot. Because there are three different ways you can consider something an upgrade based on where you place the second data point. So the first data point, in all cases, is the 2020 Buffalo Bills. That's your first data point. Now, whether or not you think they upgraded is largely related to where you're placing your second data point. The first place you can place it is relative to the data point previously of that same object. So this is chronologically. 
This is using time. So this is the 2021 Buffalo Bills compared to the 2020 Buffalo Bills. And it's on paper because it hasn't happened yet. It's on paper. You're comparing the paper of 2021. That is what you see right now with the reality that's already occurred. That's the first way you can do it. This is where that hidden upgrade potential comes into play. This is where coaching adjustments, people taking the next step, Knox, Oliver, Ford, Edmonds, Gabriel Davis, snaps that you're returning that were previously lost due to injury, or COVID opt-outs, Star, Matt Milano, Tremaine Edmonds not being hurt. This is where all those hidden items come into play because you're just taking the paper from 2020 and what you already know to be true with the paper from 2021. And this is where all those hidden upgrade potentials start to fall. This is the stuff that Joe Marino was talking about. Reasons why on paper, the 2021 bills could still be better than the 2020 bills. But there's also a consideration here of macro versus micro upgrades. For example, I think the wide receiver room's better. Because Emmanuel Sanders is a better player than John Brown, in my opinion. I think QB2 is massively better. You, in the comments section, and you responding to my tweet, saying the Bills didn't get any better, you don't view those as macro upgrades. You might view them as micro upgrades, but they don't move the needle for you. But you instead say, well, they didn't upgrade. Well, they did, but the things that they upgraded that you could probably admit they upgraded, I don't think anybody thinks Matt Barkley is a better QB2 than Mitchell Trubisky. They don't matter for you. Those things don't have any weight for you. Doesn't mean they didn't upgrade. Just the things that they did upgrade don't matter to you. So the first way you can compare upgrades, the first data point you can set to compare to the first one, the first data point, as we are established, is the 2020 Buffalo Bills. The second data point, and the easiest way, is just what the 2021 Buffalo Bills look like on paper right now. That's the first place you can put it. And that's what we all just kind of go to when we think upgrade. But that is not the only second data point you can place to define the word upgrade. Upgrade is not a static concept. Upgrade is not a static concept. It shifts based on where you decide to put the second data point. What is another place you can put the second data point? First data points, 2020 Buffalo Bills. What is the second data point I'm going to place to compare? What about a hypothetical future version of the object that is being measured? This is the better than it would have been data point. So what if the Bills didn't re-sign Matt Milano? What if they didn't re-sign Daryl Williams? What if they didn't do those things, but they did sign Carl Lawson? Are we an upgrade now? We got better at defensive end. We got worse at right tackle by a significant margin. We got worse at linebacker. The second data point you can place when talking about whether or not a team upgraded 
is a hypothetical future version of the team. We view retaining your own as not upgrading. And it is upgrading if the second data point that you're placing is hypothetically what it could have been. This is the better than it would have been. So the first point, which is the 2021 Buffalo Bills on paper versus the 2020 Buffalo Bills on paper, is better than it was. The second point is better than it would have been. And the third place you can put the second data point is relative to a similar measured object at the same moment in time. So the first one, better than it was. Second one, better than it would have been. Third thing, better than that one. This is the Buffalo Bills relative to the Kansas City Chiefs because that's what's on everybody's mind right now. How do the Bills get better to beat the Kansas City Chiefs? That's what they want to know. How do they get better to beat the Kansas City Chiefs? The Kansas City Chiefs have Laurent Duvernay-Tardif coming back as a guard, Lucas Niang, who opted out, who was a rookie, coming back at right tackle. They cut Fisher and Schwartz, their previous tackles. They signed Joe Tooney to a $15 million average annual value contract. They signed Kyle Long, who's been out of football for a couple years. They re-upped Mike Remmers, who is a not effective tackle. And their center, Austin Ryder, is likely to walk. Did the Chiefs get better or worse? If the goal is to get better to beat the Chiefs, which is what on everybody's mind, then one of the other ways you can upgrade is by getting better relative to the Kansas City Chiefs. And right now, the Kansas City Chiefs struck out on a nickel corner. They struck out on Melvin Ingram, as of the most recent reports. And I'm not entirely sure their offensive line is any better than it was, because we still don't know about Lucas Nguyen. I was a big fan of Lucas Nguyen coming out of TCU last year, but he opted out, had some health problems beforehand. We have a guard coming back from the opt-out list. We lost both the tackles there in Kansas City. Joe Tooney's a great guard. Kyle Long, who knows? Just a flyer. Their center's going to walk. Have the Kansas City Chiefs gotten better or worse? So if the Bills got a little bit better, but the Kansas City Chiefs got a little bit worse, then the Bills have upgraded relative to the Kansas City Chiefs. So three ways you can look at upgraded. Better than it was, better than it would have been, or better than them. First one, relative to the same object, the last time we talked about it, 2020 bills to 2021 bills. The second object, better than a future hypothetical version of that team. And the third thing is relative to a similar measured object, in this case, as a football team. These are the three ways that you can look at the word upgrade. It's not as simple as just looking at the bills on paper in 2021 and the bills on paper in 2020 and going through each individual position group and saying, did the bills upgrade? You can do that. That's fine. But just understand you're only looking at one aspect of upgrading. 
because the Bills aren't the only team in the world making moves. We do this all the time. We only look at the Bills. We don't watch anybody else. All fans do this. We don't pay attention to anything that's going on around us. There are 31 other teams getting better and worse. And the only thing we care about is the Bills. And that's okay. We should care about the Bills. We're Bills fans. But there are lots of different ways to upgrade. In addition to there being three different ways to upgrade based on where you want to place the second data point, you get diminishing returns on upgrading. We talked about this with New England. If I'm ranking your talent on your roster from a 0 to a 10, going from a 1 to a 3 is a lot easier than going from a 7 to a 9. Yes, the Patriots got better this year. They got better in free agency. They didn't have a very talented roster before, so getting better is a little easier, but they did get better. Rookies contribute less on better teams. Remember when the Bills constantly were trying to draft and pray and hope that these players that they were forced to draft and throw into a starting role could end up holding up their end of the bargain? Do you remember those days? I didn't enjoy those days. The value you get from your draft class on year one is partially related to how many spots there are to fill. And if you don't need your draft class right away, then you might look and go, that team didn't upgrade very much. Well, there's diminishing return on upgrading because you already have good players in those spots. If you draft seven average players and you don't have good players at those positions, all seven of your players could start. But if you draft seven average players and you already have average to above average to good players in those spots, then the rookies might not play. And that's okay because you're building your depth and you're hedging yourself against injury and you're allowing yourself to let those expensive veterans walk later on. So you get diminishing returns on upgrading. Diminishing returns on upgrading. The Bills are a good team. They're not going to go from seven to nine as easily as the Patriots went from one to three as far as talent level goes. The third thing that I want to talk about in regards to upgrading is that upgrading does not stop two weeks into the new league year for the love of all that is holy and sacred. Upgrading doesn't stop at that point. If the Bills use their assets and trade up and get Quiddy Pay, who's one of the best pass rushers in the draft, did they upgrade? Probably. He's probably someone who has the ability to come in and play meaningful snaps. The Bills are likely going to be able to sign people after the draft. And given this particular year, you can get contributors very reasonably after the draft. So the first thing is you need to establish where you're putting the second data point when you define the word upgrade. The second thing is you get diminishing returns on upgrading. The third thing is upgrading doesn't stop two weeks into the new league year. And the fourth thing is talent level is not the only reason you win games. If you just look at paper and that's it and you go, okay, Bill's better or worse. 
Talent level is not the only reason you win games. Coaches get better too. I hate to say this, but luck is a factor. Luck of injury is a factor. Luck of the draw is a factor. The way the ball bounces. This is why I've always said football is a game of probabilities, not possibilities, because lots of things are possible. And it's a small sample size. And the fact that the Bills got a little bit better, in my opinion, combined with all the other things, the things we already talked about with the Chiefs, the fact that everyone's more experienced, the fact that you have Star coming back, the fact that you might have a healthy Matt Milano, all of these things, all of these things are factors. I'm not saying they're going to be better. I'm saying that there doesn't seem to be a reason you can guarantee that they're not going to be. They might be. They might not be. There are plenty of reasons why they could be. But talent level is not the only thing. Talent level on paper is not the only thing that goes into winning games. And so when you say the Bills didn't upgrade, therefore I'm mad, you're dismissing all of the other things that go into winning football games aside from talent level on paper, which I would argue is still better than it was for the Bills in 2020. I think the Bills are a more talented team on paper right now than they were in 2020. But even if you don't think so, you're dismissing all the other things that go into winning games aside from talent level. So, that's my upgrade discussion. I've been kind of stewing on that for a little bit. You can probably tell. We are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back. We're going to do some almighty takes. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me on this edition of the Bruce Exclusive of Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. So let's get into some almighty takes, shall we? Your reminder, you can email me. I am Bruce Almighty at yahoo.com and I will package them all together. And when I have a minute, we'll do them. Jay Pellet one on Instagram says, Almighty take. After a year of realizing the true value of Starletulule and his role in the middle, he will return, but actually not make a massive difference in the run defense. Maybe just a couple yards off our average from last year. And this will cause Bills fans to completely question everything we are doing in run defense. Wow. It's a pessimistic take, Jay Pellet. I do think Starletulule is going to help a little bit. I do. I think it'll be more than a few yards. Because I think we're underestimating the fact that we didn't have any competent one technique play at all. I'm not saying Starles is a stud. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the bar to clear is pretty low. We didn't get competent one technique from the Buffalo Bills last year. Ed Oliver did his best. Quentin Jefferson did their best, but that's that's not what they do. We didn't get competent, reasonable one technique play from Star. If we get that, I consider it to be enough of an upgrade that I think we would notice it. Thomas says, Hey Bruce, it's me again, Thomas from Hamburg. I really enjoyed your last couple episodes regarding pass rush. Mostly I agree with your points, but I think there are two points which are completely overlooked by most Bills fans. I think these two points also have very much to do with why the pass rush of the Buccaneers was so effective. It drives me crazy that almost nobody has mentioned that. Number one, even Mahomes cannot escape pressure and is playing horribly with that offensive line. Remember, 
There was not one starter because of injuries. And I love Andy Reid as a coach, but I was just wondering why it looks like they did not change anything schematically in that regard. Sometimes it looks like there was no O-line at all. Number two, maybe this has to do with the point I'm following the 49ers very closely. If you watch the defense of the Chiefs in last year's Super Bowl and this year in the AFC Championship game, they did come away with all kinds of dirty plays, hidden fouls, unnecessary roughness, chippiness, not called pass interferences, and so on. As I've said to myself, I've seen this before. The referees are calling in the playoffs much less, and you can get by with much more than in the regular season. So now, what happened to the Chiefs when they played the Super Bowl against Tom Shady's? I saw they got flagged heavily again and again and again for basically the same style of defense they were not called for before. Where were those calls in the game versus the Bills? Of course, I've never seen this in before in a team who was playing against Tom Brady. To be clear, I don't love the Chiefs at all, but I find it ridiculous that almost no one seems to be talking about these obvious points. Thank you so much and for your excellent work, Thomas. Okay, so I would agree that the Chiefs got away with more in the AFC Championship game than they did in the Super Bowl. The reason we don't talk about it is because there's nothing we can do about it. And that's the truth. Bad calls and referee misses are a part of the game of football. I don't like them. I'm not happy about it, but there's nothing we can do about it. It's part of the game. There's nothing you can do on this end from a Buffalo Bills standpoint and go, well, what we need to do is X, Y, and Z to ensure that the refs call those fouls. You can make a competition committee suggestions what the Bills do and all teams do every single offseason. But there's nothing you can do about it. In regards to the offensive line discussion, there's not a lot you can do schematically when your offensive line isn't working. You can try. You can really try to hold in extra blockers, but that cuts off the thing that the Chiefs do best. And it also doesn't allow Patrick Mahomes to be able to diagnose pressure as well as it does from spread formations. The reason why offensive lines are viewed as being a nucleus and defensive lines are viewed as being a nucleus for teams is because if they don't work, really nothing works. If you don't have a reasonably effective offensive line, you don't have to have a dominant one, but if you don't have a reasonably effective offensive line, there isn't a lot of scheming you can do that's going to fix that. And we talk about this all the time. When it comes to coaches, we are very, very quick to blame coaches. If you don't have the horses, there's not a lot you can do. There are no schemes for I don't have any talent. It's not a thing. Because the talent level in the NFL is so good. You can do your best to run the triple option and cut block people. There have been colleges who have been doing that for years. But in the NFL, there's not a lot of strategy that you can handle as a coach that's going to be like, well, if we just do this, we can make up for massive gaps in talent. You do your best, but we're really quick to blame coaches because I feel like there's a shell game going on behind the scenes. We don't really understand where the ball is, how plays are being called, how scheme works. So we just blame coaches. And don't get me wrong, there are times when we should blame coaches. But if you don't have the horses, you don't have the horses. And the Chiefs did not have the horses. Pat says, hey Bruce, draft-related question. 
conceptually, I'm on team trade down. As you say, hedge possibilities to maximize opportunity. But how do you value the fifth-year option when you think about giving up a first-round pick? Sure, you're picking up additional picks and thus additional opportunities to hit on a guy, but those players will only be under your control for four years, and you're losing the opportunity to get a good player under your control for five years. So maybe a factor, but not a dispositive one. But how much weight do you give it? Pat, I give it some weight. I think it's really, really important for quarterbacks. And I think that one of the reasons why I don't like picking running backs in the first round is because I value the fifth-year option. And a fifth-year option is essentially a mini franchise tag. And if I don't want to franchise tag a running back, then I don't want to use a fifth-year option on one. And if I don't want to use a fifth-year option on one, then I'm losing opportunity costs by spending that first-round pick on a running back that I could spend on a position that I do want to spend that fifth-year option on. So for me, that's one of the reasons why I don't want to draft a running back in the first round. So I do value it. I agree. It's not a deal breaker for me, but I do I do value it for sure. So to me, trading out of the first round entirely, if I'm Brandon Bean, I'm on the phone, you're going to have to give me a little extra because I'm losing that fifth-year option as opposed to trading down in the first round. So for me, I'm saying, listen, I have value to this. If you want to trade back into the first round, you got to give me a little bit more than you otherwise would. If you're trading from 40 to 33, you might not have to give me as much as if you're trading those same equivalent amount of spots, but you're trading into the first round for me because then I'm out of the first round. I'm losing that fifth year option. Andy Anderson says, I'm pretty sure Brandon Bean could get a decent draft pick for trading me at this point. I'm not going to lie. That's the comp picks for Brandon Bean. The comp picks that he gets are trading people he was probably going to cut. So, He pulled it off again, pulled it off again with Lee Smith. Kevin says, number one, is our new backup the second best quarterback in the AFC East? Possibly. Right now, possibly. Mitch Trubisky is not a good starting quarterback. He's not a good starting quarterback. But last year he was better than Cam Newton, Sam Darnold, and Tua. So right now, Probably. He also says, almighty take, Christian Wade takes over McKenzie and Robert's role in one player. Okay, now, since he sent me this message, Isaiah McKenzie has been re-signed. So there's a possibility that right now, McKenzie is the starting punt returner and kick returner. I expect nothing from Christian Wade. Nothing at all. Zero contribution. Anything I get above zero, I'm good with. Anything I get above zero, I'm good with. He's 30 years old, never played football until two years ago. Anything I get from a contribution on Christian Wade, I'm good with. Until I see something otherwise, I'm assuming he's not making the team. Matt says, hey, Bruce, I have an almighty take for you. After another sub-500 season in Denver, Brian Dable will be hired as the head coach of the Broncos. His first signing will be Mitchell Trubisky for three years, 20 to 25 million, where he becomes a borderline top 10 quarterback based on your QB stew. Trubisky's arm talent will finally be showcased. Most winning fantasy teams will have him on their roster due to the low cost of his value proposition. Earning the Bills a fifth round comp pick and the Broncos will go on to simulate the early 2000s-ish Steelers in terms of the dynamic between them, the Colts, and the Patriots. Only now, the teams will be Denver, Buffalo, Kansas City. 
Let me know what you think. Thanks for everything. All the best. That is bold, Matt. That's really bold. I think a greater possibility for me, I'm going to say somewhat improbable because I do think that there's a possibility that Trubisky could go with Dable, but I think he could go with Dable as a bridge quarterback behind a drafted player. Most new coaches want their own guy. And Dable might get to know Trubisky, but it's not Dable's guy. So I'm going to say somewhat improbable. I love it. I think it's awesome, but somewhat improbable. Patch has a three-take parlay. One. Brandon Bean's draft strategy is for a three-year payoff. We've seen this from Brandon Bean. Trey White had his best season year three. Matt Milano, best season year three. We have Ed Oliver coming up on year three. Okay, I'll see it. I think that when you have players who are athletic freaks and you draft them in order to have the coaches coach them up, it's reasonable to expect a year three breakout. Dawson Knox is going into year three. I think that's highly probable. His first parlay is the contract for Josh Allen will be lower base, middling, continual signing bonus, and ginormous baller incentives. We're going to talk about this a lot when it comes to the Josh Allen contract, probably after the draft. But I think that there are two camps when it comes to quarterback contracts now. The Patrick Mahomes style contract and the Dak Prescott slash Deshaun Watson style contract. They're very, very different stylistically. It'll be interesting to see which of those Josh Allen gets signed to if he gets signed this offseason to one of them. I do not think they will create a third type that you are describing with a lower base continual signing bonus, which we would call a roster bonus at that point, roster bonuses every year, and baller incentives. I don't think that that would be the case because more guaranteed money for an agent standpoint is always better than less guaranteed money. And incentives are historically not likely to be earned so that you can push that cap forward. So I'm going to say highly improbable. And his final parlay is there's a strong wind blowing and the bills are stampeding on it. Highly probable. Let's go. Let's freaking go. Go bills. If you're listening to this on Thursday morning, make sure to hit me on locker room tonight at seven o'clock PM Eastern time. I'll be live on Locker Room recording a pod that I will then drop tomorrow on the Buffalo Rumblings Podcast Network. And until then, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings.